Hello and welcome to the JustEatTakeaway.com Half Year 2022 Results Call. My name is Courtney and I'll be your coordinator for today's event. Please note that this conference is being recorded and for the duration, your lines will be on listen only. However, you will have the opportunity to ask questions and this can be done by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require assistance at any time, please press star zero and you will be connected to an operator. And I will now hand you over to your host, Yitzhak Grun, Chief Executive Officer, to begin today's conference. Thank you. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this analyst and investor conference call to discuss the half year 2022 results for JustEatTakeaway.com. On our corporate website, you can download our press release and the slides for this analyst and investor conference call. I will start today's presentation by taking you through the highlights for the first six months of 2022. I will share some additional background regarding our strategy to build and operate highly profitable food delivery businesses, the already auctioned uh, actioned improvements that we uh, made to deliver our adjusted EBITDA guidance for the full year, and the opportunities to accelerate our path to profitability further. Brent Wissink, our CFO, will then take you through the financial details of the results at group level and for each of our operating segments in individually. I will end the presentation with some concluding remarks, after which we will open up the call for your questions. And as you will have seen from our release this morning, the supervisory board's external investigation has now been concluded, and based on that outcome, it has been determined that Jur can continue in his position as the chief operating officer for the business. Please follow me to slide four. I want to spend some time to talk about the crucial elements of our strategy to build and operate profitable food delivery businesses. First, we take a long-term view of our business. We invest to maintain and expand market leadership in our target markets. We believe these leadership positions will drive the strong network effects that characterize the food delivery sector and will enable us to grow efficiently and be sustainably profitable over the longer term. Following the merger of Just Eat and Takeaway.com and the pandemic, we have made significant investments, most obviously in the United Kingdom, but also in other countries in our portfolio. Most of these investments were around partner supply and the rollout of a bigger delivery network. Because new consumer addition is so important to expand our leadership, we continue to enhance brand awareness across countries to always be top of mind of the consumer. We do such things through, for instance, uh, television spots with stars like Katy Perry and outdoor billboarding, but also via long-term partnerships such as our Champions League sponsorship. We enhance our consumer and partner experience through best-in-class tech and product. We are continuously working on improving the profitability of our proven hybrid model by leveraging powerful network effects. And since mid-last year, the focus on improving profitability has become even more important and is now one of our key priorities. We are extending our delivery operations and are continuously working on driving efficiency by increasing our tech, operational efficiency, and our density. Um, I will talk later about the opportunities in pooling, for instance. And on top of that, we have made significant progress in further expanding our market through convenience grocery with many partnerships announced already and a footprint that now stretches to over 25,000 sites across our markets. And lastly, we pursue a disciplined portfolio management approach, evidenced by our recent decision to discontinue operations in Norway, Portugal, and Romania. I'm now on slide five. After a period of exceptional growth, JustEatTakeaway.com is now two times larger than pre-pandemic, which of course helps to provide the skill required to operate a successful, profitable online food delivery company. We are, of course, also much bigger than the standalone takeaway.com was back in 2019, which is the darker color orange you see on the slide. This is relevant because it shows you the magnitude of change that has been in the business in the last three years. As you will know, we have invested very significantly in scaling our delivery network over the past few years, in particular in legacy Just Eat markets, which has undoubtedly materially enhanced our overall consumer proposition. And as you can see on slide six, encouragingly, the delivery share is now stabilizing in share of total orders versus marketplace. This trend, alongside the focus we have on lowering our delivery costs per order, is an important development. 
The graph excludes our businesses in the US and Canada, as the contribution margin, of course, for marketplace and delivery are similar in North America, and we are therefore agnostic whether we process a marketplace or delivery order in those markets. Lastly on this slide, with marketplace generally offering a better consumer value proposition than delivery, we expect this stabilizing trend to continue in an inflationary environment. Please follow me to slide seven. Apart from the focus we have around the business model, we are also very much focused around the geographies in which we operate. We are market leader in 17 of the 22 markets in which we are present. We are very selectively only in markets in which we believe we can make significant profits, and we choose very carefully where we operate. To illustrate this, approximately 90-90% of our TTV is in Northern Europe, North America, and the UK and Ireland. Now on slide 8. As mentioned previously, the first half of 2021 was a record period for JustEtakeaway.com in order and GTV growth due to COVID-19 restrictions and significant investments in delivery. Exiting the pandemic has resulted in a 7% decrease in orders in the first six months of 2022 compared to the same period in 2021, which was offset by higher average transaction value, consumer pricing improvements, and positive currency movements leading to stable GTV at 14.2 billion euro and strong revenue growth of 7% to 2.8 billion euro in the first half of 2022. However, adjusted EBITDA significantly improved by 29% to minus 134 million euro or minus 0.9% as percentage of GTV. This year-on-year improvement clearly demonstrates the path to profitability both on an absolute level and as a percentage of GTV. We have told you at previous meetings that our EBITDA improvements for this year are back-end loaded. So as you can see, we are expecting a minus 0.3% EBITDA margin as percentage of GTV for the second half of the year. I will talk later about how we already actioned improvements that will get us to this level. On slide 9, we show the adjusted EBITDA for each of our four operating segments. North America was close to adjusted EBITDA break-even in the first six months of 2022, and even adjusted EBITDA positive in the second quarter of 2022, despite fee caps in the US and Canada negatively impacting adjusted EBITDA by 73 million euros. Northern Europe continued to generate significant profits with an adjusted EBITDA of 124 million euros. And in the UK and Ireland, we are particularly encouraged by the progress we've made on profitability with adjusted EBITDA improving 70, 70 percent to minus 18 million euro in the first half of 2022. This segment uh, as, uh, was adjusted EBITDA positive as well in the second quarter of 2022. Southern Europe and Australia and New Zealand saw notable reduction in losses and with peak investment now behind us, we expect profitability to continue to improve going forward. So to summarize, we were adjusted EBITDA positive in three out of four operating segments in the second quarter. A clear indicator of our success is the cohort data across uh, the group. The chart on slide 10 covers all our markets outside of the US, and most of the orders for any food delivery company are, of course, from existing consumers. Consumers are highly recurring and order more frequently over time. During the pandemic, we have seen a period of exceptional growth, and whilst exiting the pandemic has resulted in reduced order volumes, consumers acquired during the pandemic are proving to be very loyal. Our cohorts are therefore intact, and the performance of the newer cohorts is excellent. Moving to slide 11. While we saw active consumers at group level come down 4% year-on-year, excluding the U.S., the number of active consumers and order frequency metrics both grew. On slide 12, we like to update you on the good progress that is being made in addressing the principal challenges in the U.S. First, on 6 July, JustTheTakeaway.com and Amazon entered into a commercial agreement in the U.S., offering Amazon Prime members a free one-year Grappa Plus membership, strengthening Grappa's competitiveness in the U.S. market, and representing a significant opportunity for growth. Since the announcement, orders have accelerated, and the agreement will be cash flow accretive for Grappa from 2023 onwards. Secondly, as said previously, we believe fee caps are unconstitutional and fee caps have now expired or have been amended in most places and we have been very encouraged by the City of San Francisco's amendment most recently. We continue to pursue legislative and legal solutions to eliminate the remaining fee caps in New York City. 
In short, we are very optimistic about the developments around these fee caps in the U.S. And thirdly, together with our advisors, we continue to actively explore the partial or full sale of Grubhub. Now moving to slide 13. We have already made good progress to improve the profitability of our business, and we have made further levers to enhance this. We have many further levers to enhance this. The three main levers are revenue per order, improvements in delivery costs per order, and overheads and OPEX. Revenue is driven by increasing average transaction values, optimizing consumer fees, and improving yield. Improvements in delivery are mainly driven by scale and density, as well as tech innovation. In our markets, we typically have the leading market position, which brings consumer density. This is important to increase the number of drops our couriers can make per hour and to reduce the cost per drop. Continuous enhancements in technology are critical in our industry, and we are implementing enhanced demand management, further optimized order pooling, and efforts to reduce waiting times. Overheads and OPEX will be improved by automation, marketing efficiency, and reduced overheads. Now, I would like to spend some time on the already actioned improvements to deliver adjusted EBITDA margin guidance on slide 14. On the left side, you see the adjusted EBITDA margin that we have delivered in the first half of 2022 and that we will use as a starting point for this slide. Within pricing, we've increased consumer fees throughout the first half of 2022, and we have increased commission rates in Europe in the third week of July. We have also realized efficiencies in marketing from July onwards. In the US, we've realized efficiencies following the commercial agreement with Amazon. I'd like to stress that these improvements have already been actioned and will bring us to the middle of our guided adjusted EBITDA range for the full year 2022. And on top of this, we expect further improvements in pricing, reduction of delivery costs per order, for instance by pooling, and other operational efficiencies. In June, we announced a hiring freeze for the entire business and we are implementing several cost reduction initiatives. On slide 15, we would like to dive into one of the drivers to increase the number of drops our couriers can make per hour and to reduce the cost per drop, which is pooling or sometimes called batching. We have now introduced order pooling across our markets, which became a much greater opportunity after we signed the long-term global strategic partnership with McDonald's in March of this year. And while we started from a low base at the beginning of this year, we, are, we exited the first half year with pooling in certain markets representing already more than 20 to 0% of orders. We will continue to optimize and increase pooling rates through, throughout the second half of the year, and this represents a significant opportunity going forward. Turning to slide 16, we reiterate our guidance with a focus on improving profitability in 2022, G2V to grow by mid-single-digit year-on-year in 2022, and 2022 adjusted EBITDA margin to be in the range of minus 0.5% to minus 0.7% of GTV. I will now hand over to the uh, to Bren. Thank you, Yitz, and good morning, everyone. As usual, we start with a slide where you see the reported IFRS and combined views for GTV revenue and adjusted EBITDA. The combined figures show the data with the Grubber business included as from the 1st of January 21 and with Norway, Portugal, and Romania figures excluding as of from 1st of January 22, given the insignificance thereof. Unless explicitly stated, all the figures in the financial section are presented on a combined basis. Please see the notes in the press release for further explanations. Please turn to the next slide, where we show the financial results for the first half year of 2022. Our revenue increased mainly due to the higher average order values driven by higher food prices, targeted optimizations in consumer fees and currency movements. In addition, we increased revenue from promoted placements due to technical product improvements. We made improvements in our delivery operations, which led to revenue less order fulfillment costs significantly improving. I will explain this in more detail on the next slide. The improvements in revenue less fulfillment costs helped adjusted EBITDA at the group level, improving by 29% to minus 134 million euros in the first half of 2022. Adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of DTV improved by 40 basis points to minus 0.9% in H122. Please move to the next slide, where we highlight the improvement in our revenue less order fulfillment cost. This metric is a key competitive advantage for our business. 
By improving our unit economics, the company can achieve a net cash generating business in the coming years. In H122, we generated over 1.1 billion of revenue less order fulfillment cost, a 20% increase compared with last year. The biggest driver for this improvement is the increase in profitability of our delivery operations across most markets. As mentioned by Yitz earlier, this is a key focus for further optimization and improvements for the remainder of 22 and into 23. On the next slide, we focus on the contribution of the segments to the development of the H1 adjusted EBITDA. Compared with the same period last year, we delivered significant improvements in our profitability in North America, UK and Ireland, and Southern Europe, Australia, and New Zealand segments. The improved performance of these three segments offset slightly lower adjusted EBITDA contribution from Northern Europe and higher head office expenses. I will provide more color on the individual segments later in my section. Nevertheless, the developments in the adjusted EBITDA clearly reflect our focus on the path to profitability. This was demonstrated by our most mature segments, Northern Europe remaining highly profitable and both North America and UK and Ireland being adjusted EBITDA positive in Q2 22. Within these results, the second quarter saw sequential improvement in the adjusted EBITDA margin versus the first quarter of this year, and we are putting into action further steps to accelerate the margin improvement in the second half of 22. Among those actions are a hiring freeze that we introduced in June 22, several strategic initiatives to further reduce delivery cost per order and generate operational efficiencies, including marketing optimization. In addition, we look at organizational efficiency if necessary and cost-cutting measures to optimize our headquarters quarter costs. Moving to the next slide, where we show the bridge between the adjusted EBITDA and the loss before income tax. These figures are being provided on IFRS basis. The main components of the bridge are the non-cash items, such as amortization of intangibles, depreciation of fixed assets, share-based payments, and the impairment of Grubhub Goodwill. Following the acquisition of Grubhub last year, which you recall was paid by the issue of jet equity to Grubhub stockholders, there has been a significant decline in the sector valuations. In addition, macroeconomic factors, such as interest rates, market interest rates, and equity volatility has put pressure on technical IFRS valuation metrics. Primarily as a result of these factors, rather than the operational performance of Grubhub, we had to partially impair the carrying value of Grubhub, resulting in a recognized impairment loss of almost 3 billion euros. As mentioned earlier, in July 22, JustTakeaway.com and Amazon entered into a commercial agreement in the US, strengthening Grubhub's competitiveness in the U.S. market and representing a significant opportunity for growth. Please follow me to the next slide, which shows we ended H122 with uh, almost 890 million in cash and cash equivalents. We believe the company is sufficiently financed to execute the path to profitability. Note also that we have no debt repayments due to the end of next year. We carefully forecast our cash flows and are actively working on further strengthening our balance sheet and liquidity position, including potential sales assets and refinancing alternatives. Next slide, please, where we show, where we look at each segment in more detail. In H122, our North American orders declined by 10% after the peak of the pandemic ordering last year. We believe the Amazon partnership will strengthen Grubhub's competitiveness and represent a significant opportunity for growth. We have also delivered substantial improvements in segment profitability, despite lower volumes, reaching a positive adjusted EBITDA in Q2 this year. Fee caps continue to, be, to impact H1 this year. However, excluding the impact of fee caps, North America adjusted EBITDA would have been almost 70 million positive in H122. Fee caps have in the meantime expired or have been amended in most places, including San Francisco most recently. Turning to the next slide, you can see the performance of Northern Europe. We increased segment GTV year-on-year, maintaining the increase in order volume achieved in the last two years. 
I would like to call out Germany, where orders have increased year on year. Northern Europeans adjusted EBITDA has slightly decreased year on year due to a higher courier uh, cost and increased IT expense allocation. However, sequentially, segments adjusted EBITDA for H122 improved compared with the second half of last year. The segment has a healthy The segment had a healthy and sector-leading adjusted EBITDA margin, and profitability is set to increase in H2 of this year. On slide 28, we outlined the performance of the UK and Ireland, following a period where we corrected historical underinvestment, mainly in delivery network in 22, we focused on returning the business to profitability, with the segments reaching positive adjusted EBITDA in the second quarter of this year. Turning to the next slide, Southern Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. This segment contains many of our less mature markets. However, we are making confident steps to focus our investments as these markets develop. This is reflected in the revenue growth of 8%, which is significantly higher than both orders and revenue growth. The segment's revenue-less order fulfillment cost increased by over 200% year-on-year, driven by general improvement of unit economics in most of the segment's countries and in particular by significant improvement in Australia, which now delivers positive revenue-less order fulfillment costs. Next slide covers head office costs, such as staff and project expenses for global support teams. I'd like to mention that global IT and product functions are not included in these head office costs, as these are being allocated to countries and thereof included in the adjusted EBITDA of the segments. The head office costs Base increased during year, mainly due to the investments in our head office, workforce, and supporting functions in last year to support the growth we then experienced. In 22, these staff costs are annualized, which is the primary reason for our year-on-year head office cost increase. As already mentioned, we've initiated a headcount freeze reflecting the slowdown of the growth in the business and in the second half, we are looking for more efficiencies and opportunities to optimize head office overheads. On the next slide, you can see the performance of iFood. iFood is an asset of significant value to our company. It is the clear market leader in a huge market and has continued to deliver double-digit growth in 22, even against a strong comp in 21. iFood's online food delivery business is now profitable whilst we support investment in high-potential grocery and meal voucher verticals. As we have indicated before, we are open to divest our iFood holding should we receive an offer which reflects the fair value for this asset. And with that, I hand back to Jitze for conclusions of this presentation. Thank you, Brent. I will continue with the conclusion of the presentation on slide 32. After a period of exceptional growth, just the takeaway.com is now two times larger than it was pre-pandemic. We continue to focus on executing our strategy to build and operate highly profitable food delivery businesses. We made significant progress towards profitability in the first half of 2022, and our three largest segments, representing 90% of our GTV, were adjusted EBITDA positive in the second quarter of 2022. Good progress is being made in addressing the principal challenges in the United States, and the commercial agreement with Amazon represents a significant opportunity for growth. Already actioned improvements will deliver our full year 2022 adjusted EBITDA guidance, and further initiatives will be implemented over the second half of 2022. With nearly 900 million euro of cash and cash equivalents, we have sufficient, uh, sufficient cash to finance the path to profitability, and we are working on various options to strengthen the balance sheet. We expect to reach positive adjusted EBITDA in the full year of 2023, and our guidance remains unchanged. And then finally, we continue to actively explore the partial or full sale of crop-up and reiterate the intention to monetize our stake in iPhone. We are now moving to the question and answer session. And as a reminder, we will allow only one question from each of the analysts to make sure that everyone gets the opportunity to ask her or his question and to avoid marathon sessions. And with that, operator, I would like to open the call for your questions. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question on today's call, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. 
We ask that callers limit their questions to one per turn, but are welcome to rejoin the queue for any follow-ups. Please also ensure that your line is unmuted locally and you will be advised when to ask your question. And our first question comes in from the line of Sylvia Caneo, calling from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, Sylvia, is your line muted? Okay, we will then move on to the next question, which comes in from the line of William Woods, calling from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hi there, good morning. Um, as a result of the stock being down 60% uh, year to date, and if you factor in kind of your, your medium to long-term guidance, the stock's trading at relatively low multiples, and you've got a number of levers to improve the performance. As a result, have you, ha have you considered or have you had any discussions about taking takeaway private, potentially through private equity? Thanks. Well, I shouldn't be surprised that uh, we have a lot of discussions uh, lately. Um, we have entertained, of course, also discussions with uh, with private equity, and that's all I can say about it. But uh, if the question is whether we have immediate plans to take the company private, I need to answer that with no. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Miriam Josiah, calling from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Great morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my question. Um, just on um, sort of current trading and what you're seeing at the moment, and I guess, you know, what gives you confidence in the second half acceleration in GTV growth to meet your guidance? I mean, clearly the comps are easier, but the macro environment has deteriorated and is expected to get worse in, in most of your market. So perhaps if you could give us some color on what you started to see in July as the comps eased, and then also how you're thinking about the balance between sort of the, the impact on consumer demand from the macro picture versus uh, um, reopening and, and that impact on what you've seen so far over the last quarter. Thanks. Thank you for the question. Uh, I think generally, if you look at uh, what we've seen in the second quarter in particular is that that was the uh, toughest comp uh, both just from a from a from a, a numbers perspective but also from uh, a mechanical perspective in the sense that we've added record numbers of new customers last year and that currently we're back to regular customer additions and of course uh, the net effect of that uh, in uh, in the last quarter was uh, was negative uh, we do see, and we said that before, that we are expecting that uh, to become easier for us end of July, beginning of August, and we do see encouraging signs there, so that's uh, as what we expected. If you're asking us uh, about the GTV target, you need to understand that there is still quite significant price increases that we see across uh, the restaurant estates that we have, so ticket sizes are still increasing because of inflation. Um, and then on top of it, we have some pricing optimization, and of course, because and we said it before, because our EBITDA target is back-end loaded, uh, we've done some price optimization in the second quarter that you would not be able to see in the, in the half-year results for the first half, but you will be able to see that in the second half, so that's part of it as well. And then, of course, in the U.S., the Amazon deal does change the growth trajectory for uh, for GropUp supporting also supporting also a higher uh, a higher GTV uh, growth. And if you ask me about macroeconomical circumstances, now I'm not an economist, so that's difficult for me to answer. I do know that in the last 22 years, we were not very much affected by any sort of crisis. And the reason for that is because in most countries we're playing a penetration game. Now, obviously, penetration in a country like Holland is already 40% for 0 um, But, you know, our target is to be much bigger than that. But in, in, in a country like Germany, the penetration is only 20%. And we do believe that the penetration, um, so basically getting more consumers on our platform, far outweighs any sort of negative effect from uh, from a macroeconomic uh, macroeconomical uh, environment we do believe that um delivery will grow less fast because pricing and i'm not talking about only delivery fees i'm talking about food price food price for the delivery restaurants is typically higher than for marketplace so we do believe that um, uh, delivery will be impacted by that but we fortunately have the benefit of having a lot of marketplace restaurants 
as as well. And as you've seen, we uh, we have underpinned the um, the EBITDA uh, target for the remainder of the year, and we have some additional uh, levers to uh, to pull. So we're actually quite confident that we'll also uh, we'll also make the uh, make the EBITDA targets. That's very clear. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Marcus Diebel, calling from JPM. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, everyone. I have a more technical question to, to Brent. Um, just on the CapEx, yeah, CapEx increased quite a lot in, in, in the first half. Um, if you can just tell us a bit more what the nature of that actually is. Um, I assume nothing has changed between accounting CapEx and, and, and OPEX, but if you can just tell us the, what the nature of that is, and in, in light of that also uh, the next payment, i.e. cash outflow for, for iFood, if you could tell us when and how much that is. Thank you. Um, well, with respect to the CapEx, it is certainly uh, increased uh, by uh, the fact that GrubHub is currently uh, uh, in our uh, in our figures uh, right now, which was not the case uh, last year. So that's the main contributor uh, to the the capex uh, increase, of, uh, as you've seen. Uh, be uh, before. Um, in addition, uh, it's also because uh, that's the same um, as what we said with relief to the staff increase. We have increased our staff last year including our tech and product staff and part of our product and tech developments are also being capitalized. So that's also part of the reason for an increase. Um, what was the other question? Well, the iFood uh, funding and the timing there. Well, the iFood funding, as we also um, uh, stated in the press release, it was a subsequent event that after, uh, in July, we uh, supported the company with an additional investment of uh, 60 million. Okay, so so it's it's but also also some some IT costs on on top in in terms of the capex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 The next question comes in from the line of Monique Pollard calling from City. Please go ahead. Hi, morning, everyone. Um, as you mentioned, YITC, um, clearly the Amazon deal just changed the growth trajectory in the U.S. So just wondering if you were able to give any color on what you've seen there since that prime partnership, um, you know, whether it's number of new Grubhub subscribers that you've seen. I know there was press reports of over 2 million added in the first sort of 10 days or, you know, anything on the um, trajectory of growth that you're seeing in that market would be really helpful. Yes, thank you. Well, well, first, let me let me take you back to one of the uh, one of the issues in the in the in the U.S. Um, obviously, when we uh, signed the transaction, we believed that we could use the EBITDA to invest in a rollout of uh, delivery service, predominantly in the suburbs of the larger cities. That was that was the plan. Um, that plan was no longer possible because of the fee caps that were instated, and you know some of them were of course temporary, and others became became permanent, and we're fighting those. And I've talked about that during the presentation. Um, part of this issue has been addressed now by the Amazon deal, because obviously uh, the EBITDA was going to be used for, for instance, marketing investments. This is uh, this is for us a uh, a very economical way of expanding the uh, the user base. Um, then um, I cannot disclose these numbers because obviously we're not the only party in this agreement. We have a, we have a good relationship with with Amazon, and I think it's safe to say that both our companies are quite excited about about this uh, cooperation. But that also doesn't allow me to disclose these figures. But it would surprise me a lot if you won't see anything, of course, uh, over the course of the, of the next year in, in terms of a better trajectory for this uh, for this business. So while it doesn't address all the issues that we face in the U.S., uh, it does uh, address um, a, a growth and market share issue. And to what extent that will be, you know, we, we're only three weeks in, so it's it's early days, but it, it looks pretty good to, to us. Sorry, can I just ask one quick follow-up to that point on the fee caps? Um, the fee cap level, obviously, the San Francisco impact comes in from 2023. So what will be the fee cap impact going forward? 
Uh, well, look, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not. There's not a large chunk of our orders in San Francisco, so we're much more dependent on the on the on the fee caps being lifted in uh, in New York. But obviously, it's very encouraging to see that you know our work that we're doing, and we're not the only ones. It's also DoorDash and, and, and Uber are doing similar work to explain to local authorities that these fee caps are not constitutional, that it, it is paying off for us. And therefore, we're quite hopeful that uh, that the rest of the U.S. will see a similar trajectory. Now, you know, that's not that's not a promise, but it looks actually uh, uh, a lot better than how it looked last year. Great. Thank you very much. The next question comes in from the line of Giles Thorne, calling from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Thank you. I wanted to pick up on the language around the sale of assets in uh, Brent's prepared comments. Is this just reference to iFood and Grubhub, or, or do you plan to to exit or consider the exit of more markets as you've done in, in Norway, Portugal, and Romania? And if it is the latter, um, it would be useful to get your current thinking on your positions in Italy and France. Thank you. Well, uh, for sure it's uh, it's referred to the two assets you mean, but as you have seen, uh, we are continuously uh, assessing uh, the performance uh, of, uh, of individual countries, and and just as a good capital allocator, we uh, we will look at it and decide how to move on uh, with it. Well, you've seen uh, the three examples uh, in the first half, uh, but we're continuously assessing uh, performances in uh, in countries. And just by way of follow-up, it would be useful to have some colour on on the restructuring that was just done in France, um, the logic and and the impact. Thanks. Yeah, Giles, let, let, uh, allow me to talk a little bit about uh, about about France. So we of course merged with with Just Eat, um, and there were a couple of fantastic markets in in Just Eat, as you know, uh, UK, Canada, a couple of really good market positions, also smaller countries such as Ireland, but there were also a couple of weaker countries in there, including uh, including France. So France has never been a stronghold for uh, for, for for Just Eat. And there were very few investments, for instance, also in delivery. Now, in last years and the year before, uh, before that, uh, in that environment, we were able to turn around the trend in, in France and to make France a growth country again. That was, however, on the back of a pandemic. Um, and, you know, I would like to claim all the, su all the success in the company, of course, but part of the success in the company was, was actually created by the pandemic and not only the investments, of course, that we made or the changes that we, uh, that we made in the business. Now, what happened in France, and this, this applies to the whole sector in France, it's certainly not only, uh, only our business, is that that market has actually shrunk. And I'm, I'm not talking about only our business, but I'm talking about the whole market. And it has shrunk significantly after the pandemic. So actually a lot of the growth in France has been reversed. Now, that's very different in, in other markets, such as Holland and, and, and Germany and the UK, but in France, that is that is what happened. So that also means that we needed to reevaluate our plans in France and our investment level in, in France because we no longer had the same growth trajectory. Now, this is what we have been doing. Um, that also prompted, uh, for instance, uh, what you were referring to, us retreating from several cities in France uh, for the logistical uh, arm. And that's, again, volume-related. We just have too low volume in those cities. Um, um, but you also need to be conscious that Just Eat France does have a large marketplace business that's actually quite profitable. So what we're doing there is reducing costs and making sure that that business becomes profitable uh, profitable again. Now, if then the question is, are, are you going to exit that, that business? I'm not going to exclude that. But obviously, if that's going to be a profitable business, then that's not a necessity. Understood. That's very clear. Thanks for your time. The next question comes in from the line of Andrew Gwynn, calling from BNP Paribas Exam. Please go, please go ahead. Hi there, good morning. Uh, just a question on the gig working. I mean, I think in the past you've spoken about that being a bit of a cost problem, obviously something you felt is right. It seems like maybe the commitment there is a bit more pragmatic, I suppose. It's a nice to have, but in a time where capital is a little bit more constrained, it's not something you're as wedded to. Um, let me know if I've misread that. Thank you very much. Um, no, you should look at us trying to adhere to uh, all applicable local laws. And we just have a legal assessment that in the countries in which we 
have employees, it's actually not legal to have freelancers. And I know that our competitors choose to ignore that, but obviously it sometimes leads to very high fines. It leads to competitors uh, leaving countries, Deliveroo in Spain being the obvious example. Um, so it's not so much of a, of a determination of, you know, we need to have employees in a certain market. It's just a, an assessment for ourselves whether something is legal and whether we're not going to incur very high liabilities because you might not see those as a as, a, as an investor, but we are aware of very high fine spending for uh, for businesses that are competing with us in certain countries. Um, and you can you can try to litigate against that, but at some point you will have to pay those fines. So it seems maybe cheap initially to not uh, to not uh, employ your staff, but it will be quite expensive in a number of countries. Uh, in some countries, it's a bit of a gray area. We might uh, we might take uh, we might take different action action there. Uh, but we try to be very conservative in uh, in terms of uh, you know breaking the law as you would understand. Interpretation. But specifically in the UK, there's no suggestion that it's sort of illegal um, sort of gig working. Also, it's been tested a few times. Um, so, is there a commitment there more towards gig working or? Uh, in the UK, actually, most of our logistical network is gig working. It's not. It's not. I, I know people think it's the employed-based model, but that's that's the case in the city centres, and the city centres come with visibility for us, and the visibility is also worth quite something, especially in uh, in London, where of course we we never were very large, and we managed to now be one third of the the London market. So actually, it's not always just uh, uh, a, a a legal issue. It might also have other other reasons why we employ our staff in certain places. Okay, very clear. Thank you very much and enjoy the summer. Likewise. The next question comes in from the line of Andrew Ross calling from Barclays. Please go ahead. Great morning, everyone. I, I wanted to follow up about Marx on Marx's question about the CapEx and ask more broadly about cash. And the gross cash has reduced about 400 million in the first half. There's quite a bit of leakage in, in the free cash flow beyond the EBITDA. Can you just talk us through the moving parts of the cash flow when thinking through to the end of the year. I appreciate you put money into iFood, but help us understand how much cash you, you may burn within the guidance. And when should we think about the group being free cash flow positive? Thank you. Yeah, we can't we can't be very specific there. Obviously what we have shown you is that we are making very good progress on the EBITDA and of course there's a burn below EBITDA. Uh, we're also doing some work on reducing that burn. Uh, but as we said, we uh, were in quite good uh, good shape there. The next question comes in from the line of Clement Chenelot, calling from Brian Garnier and Co. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning. My question is on the cash onions. And your answers regarding uh, financing options. So, what options are currently on the uh, and which ones are clearly uh, ruled out among capital raise, convert bonds, credit lines, asset disposals regarding iFood and Grubber, or maybe even over Australia and Canada? Thanks. Well. There's there's nothing ruled out. We are exploring various options, and uh, we said that we're gonna uh, uh, explore the sale of uh, of assets, of which uh, we all, which Grubber might be iFood and maybe other assets if um, if we think that uh, that uh, that uh, that is being uh, that 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 we uh, we deem as necessary, but. Uh, we're also exploring uh, alternative uh, refinancing um, uh, opportunities, uh, and preferably not uh, those which will dilute uh, shareholders. They are certainly not uh, on the first, the on the highest on the list. But I don't think we uh, we should uh, we should ignore or exclude uh, any alternative if possible. We have the. Uh, the obligation to explore everything, but we, of course, will uh, do it in a way which is uh, beneficial for all the stakeholders in our company, most beneficial for all the stakeholders in our company. 
Thanks. The next question comes in from the line of Adrian de St. Hilaire calling from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking the question. So <clears throat> most of your peers have actually cut their GTV growth guidance for, for 22 uh, and you have not. Uh, so I'm just wondering why, why you haven't. Is that because actually the currencies have gone your way, so there is a, a bit of an underlying downgrade on a constant currency basis, or is there something else? Well, as you know, we've uh, we've uh, uh, cut that target uh, already earlier in, in the year. I'm not saying that we had such a crystal ball, but uh, <laughs> that's something that we already did before. And on top of it, and I talked about it uh, uh, before, we do see ticket sizes increase, and that is, of course, a tailwind, and we, we do have a a deal with Amazon in the um, in the U.S. that's going to be that's going to be helpful. Uh, you should also you should also understand that the comps for us were the most difficult in H1, and they will be easier in H2. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Georgios Pelakoutas calling from New Miss. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Uh, questions on share-based compensation, which stayed up, stepped up quite a bit in the first half. Can you talk a bit about what that was? Kind of it mentions Grubber, but also a way in the, a change in the way bonuses are rewarded to staff. And then, can you perhaps give a bit of guidance for is this first half year? Should we annualise that and go forward? Well, most of it, uh, uh, as you've seen, it increased uh, uh, quite uh, significantly over the. Uh, last two years, the reason is certainly the uh, the grub up impact. Um, uh, grub up impact. The grub up impact represents uh, more than 50% uh, of what is currently uh, uh, what's currently in our, our P&L. With respect to um, to the full year, uh, no expectation that it will double. Uh, those will be granted to individuals, uh, often based on, uh, on on when they're being employed. Uh, so. Um, but it's hard to say where, where, where it will come out, but it will certainly increase uh, uh, in the second half uh, of this year. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Mark Hesselink calling from ING. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, I would like to get a little bit better feel of the profitability of uh, of the US uh, for the second half um with what changed in the uh, in in the fee caps um uh, and uh, look, looking going into the uh, into the second half of the year and also the Amazon contract uh, is it fair to assume that on the Amazon you might lose a little bit on the uh, on your gross margin uh, but because of operational leverage you make it back and then on EBDA it should be a positive impact a uh, bit on those moving parts, uh, please. Yeah, so uh, regarding the fee caps, the, the changes now are in Canada and the changes are uh, in San Francisco. San Francisco will only apply, I think it was the 31st of January, so uh, back of my mind. Um, so that that will be the change going going forward on the on the fee caps. Then, if you look at the uh, Amazon deal, what the Amazon deal does for us, it replaces a good chunk of our marketing. So we have some efficiencies on, the, on let's say, the marketing side uh, uh, following that, uh, that, uh, that 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 agreement. Um, and I, I think that's the that is why actually our, uh, our expected EBITDA in the U.S. will be will be slightly higher as as a consequence, not not a direct uh, link to it, but as a consequence of that. Uh, Okay, so can you say the run rate profitability of, of, of the U.S. is that already close to break-even at the moment? Well, it's part of North America, right? So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how close you are to what part is what, but uh, if the whole of North America is uh, EBITDA positive, then uh, yeah, I think you can connect the dots. Okay, okay, thanks. The next question comes in from the line of Rob Joyce, calling from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, morning. Thanks for taking the question. Um, sort of touched on it so far, but I mean, just 
specifically um, the sort of Southern Europe division now, I think it's been amongst, if not the lowest, um, order growth for the past three quarters. It accounts for pretty much all of your operational losses. Um, why are we so committed to this division and, and probably particular reference to Australia, which I believe is the most loss-making element of that? Thank you. Um, I, I, I think the question relates to uh, the, what happened during the, during the pandemic, right? So, and, and also relates to my answer about, about France. Now, obviously, what happened in the pandemic is that everything that we touched worked because we were in a pandemic. And even, even you could hold a good story about uh, countries like Romania. Even that story would, would be a good story because you had very significant growth in Romania, and if that growth would have, conti would have continued, we would not have closed Romania, but the growth did not continue. And I think you see that also in, the, in, the, uh, in, in that segment, but you should not um, misinterpret the quality of the assets in the, in, the, in, in the segments, because if you look at, for instance, Spain and Italy, those businesses are very, very well-run businesses, but we might have invested more money in there because they were growing faster than they are growing this year. And that applies to both marketing and, for instance, investments in sales staff and et cetera. Obviously, if you have higher growth, you're going to invest invest in more um, more more people to you know get more restaurants online and, and and that sort of thing. It is going to be very difficult for all food delivery businesses on the planet to now suddenly go out of that growth mode and into EBITDA mode because yeah, you built your business and for instance, also if you look at uh, at uh, increases in staff, most of those increases happened in H1 last year, right? And that, that, that's why your staff is now high. And of course, if then your your orders go down slightly, everybody would tell you, hey, but you know, now your staff is too big. Yeah, but you know, we, we were in a, in a situation which was growing so fast that we needed all that uh, all that all that staff. And that's maybe clearer in businesses that are smaller scale, because the the, the problem, for instance, in Italy is not that it's it's just a bad business. It's just that it doesn't have the scale yet that the Dutch business has in Holland relative to the size of the population. Apart from that, you know, Italy is a fantastic business. It's mostly marketplace, a big chunk of logistics. Um, but yeah, we need to fine tune basically all these businesses. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time for us for us to do that. Uh, we just discussed uh, uh, France. Um, and that's that's a trajectory that we've set uh, into motion basically last year, August, and we're making good progress there. But it takes more time, obviously, uh, in those countries compared to businesses that are already so large um, that, you know, you would say, okay, yeah, maybe we have a little bit of a too large uh, sales department, but yeah, relative to the EBITDA of Holland or Germany, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter, of course, if you're a subscale. Well, what about so? I mean, Australia, which isn't really a marketplace business, four players in the market, arguably most of the cities quite penetrated, and still but quite a heavily loss-making business. What what's the what's the outlook for that? Uh, actually, we're reducing the losses in Australia at a very high pace, um, and and again, we need to. And I think also uh, Brent alluded. That if, if if we don't see a because you know remember I, we are about creating these large scale profitable businesses if, if we can't get there that would be a good reason for us to to uh, for instance sell a business um, at the same at the same time it, it's very difficult to now take the cost of running the business during a pandemic and compare that to the revenue of the business outside of a pandemic and that's sort of what we now see happening is obviously these are all delayed figures. You know, the current state of the of the company is much better than what you see in the H1 figures because we've made all these changes or at least part of these changes already. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, of course, if you if you ask uh, if you ask us, should you have invested that money if you had known that the high growth would have ended in February 2022, then we would have said, hmm, no, maybe we should have changed that trajectory. But we obviously did not know that that would stop in February 2022. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Wim Gill, calling from ABN Amro Odo. Please go ahead. <clears throat> a, a very good morning. 
Um, I got a question for Brent, actually. Um, if we look at gross profit, um, it's up almost 20% year over year. Uh, so you added about 187 million in gross profit um, uh, year over year, which I think is is a good achievement. Uh, but if we then look at uh, how that ends up uh, and, and you know, filters into the profitability in the bottom line, your adjusted EBITDA uh, life-life basis only increased 55 million. So that means that the OPEX increased by about 132 million. Uh, I've identified about 13 million in uh, in overhead uh, that uh, or headquarter costs. Uh, but that leaves me still with 100 million in uh, additional costs, uh, apples for apples. Uh, and can you break it down for me? Where did you invest that money? Um, and also give us a bit of a sneak preview uh, on where do you expect OPEX uh, to end up based on the current guidance that you have uh, in the second half, i.e. are we going to continue or are we going to see continuous increases in OPEX or are going to stay flat? Well, uh, uh, first of all, I think it also uh, comes a little bit back to what Yitzhi just said. Um, what we what we have done, uh, all the investments in staff, uh, what uh, that we made last year, uh, certainly also for example, whether it's in logistics, but also in headquarters, we're also in uh, uh, these um, these are currently. Uh, uh, those weren't there last year, and are we now carrying the the full uh, the full expense uh, of that? So uh, that is certainly a point of attention. Also going forward, when we look at uh, uh, reshaping the business to the size of uh, of the number of orders, whatever size uh, uh, we will end up. So that is certainly the reason why, on an operate operational from a unit economic point of view, if you talk about uh, uh, revenue le- less order fulfillment uh, cost increase more rapidly because there we could uh, use uh, benefits of, of price increases, some operational efficiencies, which are, for example, uh, to a lesser, to a, certainly to a lesser extent staff related, but below a gross profit is certainly we carrying uh, uh, the cost of, uh, of, the, of the hirings uh, and investments that we made last year. And those were in logistics, might be uh, partially in customer service, headquarter expenses, uh, to a certain extent, also marketing, uh, but also there we, uh, uh, we 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 are in the process of uh, making it more efficient. But that is certainly uh, the reason for that we could not, let's say, show that improvement as we uh, right now, as opposed to what the improvement that you've seen in the, in the uh, in the revenue less uh, order fulfillment cost. But it is uh, expected that also there you will see the improvements uh, going forward. Okay, let me let me rephrase the question then. <clears throat> How much did uh, Mark... I won't I won't I won't provide uh, you uh, buckets uh, with numbers. Uh, in, in in that case, uh, taking into account the hiring freeze that you implemented, is it likely to be expected that OPEX will stay flattish uh, in the second half of this year versus the first half of this year, or should we continue to model ongoing increases there? Um, I, I won't answer the question, but uh, a lot of these uh, these OPA these head 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 those uh, those uh, those headcount freezes will certainly be reflected below gross profit uh, and gross profit uh, sorry order less fulfillment cost. <laughs> I cannot say gross profit because that's unfortunately go to jail. <laughs> no, but uh, those those, those headcount freezes will certainly be reflected below. The revenue less order fulfillment cost. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Jurgen Cole, calling from Kepler Chevreau. Please go ahead. Yes. Good morning, and thank you very much for the uh, the time. Uh, just a brief one on your current um, two participations, iFood and Grubhub. Uh, so maybe you could uh, share with us the current negotiations, or if you have negotiations on maybe saying goodbye to these two two assets, uh, what the current uh, status is in this respect. Thank you. I can only tell you that we have negotiations on both, but I'm not going to tell you what the status is. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Sarah Simon calling from Berenberg. Please go ahead. Um, yes, hi. I just wanted to come back on the question that was asked earlier about share-based compensation. 
So you made a shift in the second half of last year from cash-based bonus to share-based bonus. So the costs are going to now move below the adjusted EBITDA line. I'm just wondering if you can give us any color on kind of how big the bonus would have been in cash last year in the first half that wouldn't be there now because it's become stock. Um, well, last year the uh, the the I have to I have to just have to look it up one sec. Well, if it would have been uh, last year, uh, the bonus uh, 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 that has been paid out in shares was uh, approximately uh, twenty five million. So that has uh, shifted to uh, to below uh, adjusted EBITDA. That was for the European operations and um, the drive. The U.S. bonus was to, was 33 million, but that was expense, so that was uh, including in the EBITDA expense. So, the, so if, if we were kind of trying to do like for like on the same basis, you'd make the EBITDA from last year 30, adjusted EBITDA 33 million higher. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, that will be uh, the mechanism. But maybe we can discuss also offline. Yeah. We can take you through, the, to through provide, the details. Happy uh, to provide to take you through the details offline. Thank you. The next question comes in from the line of Sherry Malik, calling from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to follow up on the commentary, helpful commentary earlier about essentially over-investing during the pandemic. Perhaps that was just related to, the, to that segment. Um, but I wanted to reconcile that with the comments you've made earlier during the presentation about how pandemic customer cohorts have been quite loyal and overall customer KPIs have been fairly resilient. So what has actually been lower on the growth side or what KPI in particular has come in lower following the pandemic. Thanks. Um, I think they're all higher, to be quite frank. Um, all the uh, order frequency, return of customers, that that's all better. What you are seeing, though, is that we are now adding less new customers than the customers that we lose because we added so many additional new customers last year. That's the mechanism. So it's actually the case that most of these customers uh, behave much better. But obviously, there's a difference between our operation in France, a country in which we are weak, and places like Canada, UK, Germany, Holland, Italy, Spain, uh, Denmark, Ireland, all these places in which we're strong. Because in those places, you know, actually, you see that also, uh, uh, for instance, in the, in the Northern European uh, seg segment, the user behavior is much better than what it was before the pandemic, and therefore that business is much stronger. Um, but if you if you listen to our commentary around the overinvestment, it is overinvestment relative to the current size, and the current size of the business is not the expected size for a number of the countries. And in some countries, that leads us to the conclusion, you know, take Romania or Norway that it doesn't fit the profile of our business anymore. And in other countries, it might mean actually it does fit the profile of, of the business, but you know we've assumed a higher growth last year than what we actually got, and therefore a couple of these numbers are not where they need to be, and we need to do some work on, uh, on, on them. And that applies basically to the whole business, but it's more apparent in the, uh, call it, uh, uh, South Europe uh, ANC uh, segment. All right, thank you. So is it fair to assume then that the customer acquisition coming out of the pandemic, these more normal levels perhaps is a bit lower than what would have been anticipated? The the customer acquisition is back to the levels that we had before the pandemic, which is normal, but obviously it's it's lower than within a pandemic because you know people are not in the, locked up in their houses. Thank you. The final question comes in from the line of Michael Roy, calling from DeGroof, Peter Cam. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Um, it's actually more clarification that I'm looking for. Uh, Brent made a comment about Northern Europe. 
about the EBDA in Q2 and the outlook for the second half, and he compared them to some other periods. So could you please repeat that? And, and yeah, well, uh, what I what I said is that the current the 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 EBITDA in Northern Europe in the first half uh, increased compared to the uh, EBITDA in the second half of last year. That was the comment I made uh, in my uh, during the presentation. Oh, I, I thought you said something about the Q2 run rate being higher than, than and 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 you expected to improve full, further in the second half. We will read the transcripts carefully, uh, Michael. And if you have any questions remaining, you can reach out to us. Okay. Well, that, that, that question on Northern Europe, if I may. Um, what was the impact from wage inflation in the first half of the year? To be frank, it's quite detailed. Happy to uh, to come back on that uh, right yeah, now. But there is certainly a lag there as yeah. well. I mean, you can just look at the inflation numbers, which we usually use as the basis for our wages. But you know, you don't increase the wages uh, real time with the, with the inflation numbers. So there's typically a, a, a lag on it. So I don't think that there's anything out of the ordinary from the previous years. Thank you. And by the that way, uh, just. Apologies, one, one, one uh, coming back on your on the first part of your question about uh, what I said about H2 of this year, uh, I indeed said that uh, in the Northern Europe, uh, Europe, uh, our uh, our profit uh, um, is quite healthy, and uh, we expect that uh, to uh, that 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 paves the way to further increase in uh, in Q this year also. Uh, in light of uh, the measures uh, as we've taken and efficiencies that we expect uh, and also present. Thank you. That was the final question in the queue, so I shall hand the call back across to yourselves for any closing remarks. Thank you, everybody. We'd like to round off this analyst and investor call by thanking you for participating and your questions. And should you have any additional questions or remarks, please reach out to our investor relations team. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's call. You may now disconnect your handsets.